Before the advent of Big Basket, Grofers, Amazon, Flipkart and even Dunzo, the local kirana or small business was the only option. Local markets reigned supreme. Cut to 2021. Online shopping happened. From buying fancy heels at a mall to tomatoes at your local kirana, everything can now be bought online because it's just easier and quicker. But while malls have shut down across cities, Kirana stores have proved to stay evergreen. Because just like you, your local Kirana store has evolved. Did you know that just like there's a Flipkart for us to deliver stuff to our homes, local stores have their own Flipkart. Uran hai sirf aur sirf hum vyapariyon ka apna online. Online. Hum. Hum hi pel rahe ho. Hum hi. हर ऑनलाइन हानिकारक नहीं होता देखो यहाँ सब उपलब्ध है ये गारमेंट्स इलेक्ट्रॉनिक्स ये छोटवेयर और ये तुम्हारे किचनवेयर भी सच में अरे कसम कस्टमर की इट्स कॉल्ड उड़ान एंड इट हैपेंस टू बी अ कंपनी दैट गॉट अ यूनिकॉन स्टेटस इन द ब्लिंक ऑफ एन आई उड़ान हैज चेंज द वे किरानाज डू देयर शॉपिंग दे ब्रॉट ऑब्सक्योर इनफॉर्मल सप्लाई चेन्स ऑनलाइन दे गारंटीड कस्टमर्स टू होलसेलर्स इन्वेंट्री टू रिटेलर्स दे इवन गारंटीड क्रेडिट It's no wonder then that their valuation jumped 4x in 2 years. Odan is eyeing a 1 trillion dollar untapped market. Their steep climb though came to a screeching halt during the pandemic. Entire businesses shut down. The SME sector, small and medium businesses that are Odan's primary customers were almost decimated. The pandemic was the Jenga piece that tipped over the tar. But Odan India's first online B2B platform was already fighting a battle to hold on to its disruptive business model. Hello and welcome to Unofficial Sources, the Ken's fortnightly podcast. I'm Anushka Chikara, I'm Alana Banerjee, and we're your hosts. Today's episode is in two sections. In the top half, we're going to talk about the invisible and mysterious world of B2B supply chains and the company that wants to rewrite its rules. A little later on, we're going to sit down with two of the Ken's expert journalists to get their take on the most interesting business stories from the week. Stay tuned. Kiranas are very nifty things, right? I remember when I lived in London for about 2 years I would always miss having that store just down the road stocked with a few essentials I mean just to buy a packet of milk I had to walk about 10 15 minutes to the big supermarket and man did I miss the local kirana then Are you also as attached to the concept of kiranas Anushka Honestly for the longest time I used to call them kinara stores so for non hindi speakers kinara means corner and it just made sense to me because there's one around the corner everywhere and other than that they're also accessible in every way they stay open late at night and they're easy to work with like i could walk into one right now and buy two cigarettes from a pack of 10 you know they just adjust i for one am endlessly fascinated by how they manage this day in and day out they must be gods at managing inventory right even during the pandemic it took my local kirana just a week to get back into order 
there's something invisible at play here there's something very elegant and mysterious about how they work maybe there's an underground network of super grocers ooh a grocer mafia <laughs> now as exciting as that sounds and i would love to see a movie about that i'm pretty sure that's not how it works but i do know someone who can help explain everything that goes on behind the simple facade of a kirana Olena and I decided to speak with Sanjana Ramachandran about this invisible supply chain. Sanjana actually joined us just last week as the marketing manager at the Ken. She was most recently at Procter and Gamble where she was senior brand manager. Procter and Gamble or P&G is an FMCG giant. They own brands like Ariel, Olay, Gillette and a couple of other brand names you might be familiar with. Hi Sanjana, welcome to Unofficial Sources, but more importantly, welcome to the Ken. Thanks Anushka, I'm happy to be here. I'm sorry to throw you into the deep end in your very first week, but we needed help. So, when I go to a Kirana, everything I expect to buy is there. I want to know how does it end up there? How does the Kirana store owner get all those items up on the shelves day in and day out? Well, let's see now. For most of the items we buy, the supply chain actually involves just two main parties before the Kirana store. For one, there's the manufacturer himself who actually makes the stuff. He sells it to a middleman. Now, this could be a distributor or a wholesaler who handles logistics, returns and distribution, and he in turn sells it to the retailer, which is the Kirana store, the last person in the chain from whom we, the consumers, buy from. Okay, and then what happens next? So basically, the Kirana stores have four choices of middlemen. The first is the distributor, which could be a big regional sales company or a small stockist. He could also buy from a wholesale market where loads of goods are available for cheap. And the third is cash and carries like Metro, Reliance or Walmart. Now, the fourth option that's come up is services like Udan, where a Kirana store owner can directly order from the app, kind of like how we use Flipkart and Amazon. In my case, uncontrollably every 2 hours. Okay, good to know. But um how does the Kirana store guide decide between these options? Well, there are pros and cons to each choice depending on what the Kirana store actually sells, but broadly they all look at two main factors. The first is price. They all want to buy goods at the cheapest rate, which makes it even harder for the middleman to compete when the margins are thin. And the second most important factor is service. I mean, how easy is delivery, logistics, return? How is it convenient basically? So, given all of this, how do things really work on ground? Well, let's take soap for instance. The local Kirana guy has a middleman or a depot that stocks his particular product. The Kirana guy knows how much of each soap he wants to stock based on what he typically sells and how much he wants to pay for it. So, he has a deal or an agreement with this middleman. Damn, so it's not like the secret superhero network then I'm quite sad about that. <laughs> well, these middlemen who can be distributors or wholesalers, they're not superheroes, but they are sort of a lifeline to these small businesses. So, when a Kirana store buys like 100 bars of soap from a middleman, he is usually doing so on some kind of credit. The middleman provides this because Kiranas are typically low on cash, and he also takes up the logistical burden of delivering goods to the store. On top of this, he has to chase the Kiranas for repayment because they can't pay on time or they have to pay partially. It's an overall headache to collect from them. So, these middlemen are pretty crucial to the whole operation. 
So, uh, Sajana, I'm guessing there's a running tab between these middlemen and these retailers. Exactly, Olina. Especially in sectors like FMCG, where the distribution networks are highly established, there are relationships built on years of trust. So, for an entity like Odon, which is trying to do this end-to-end disruption through an app, this ecosystem is pretty difficult to break into, right? Right, Anushka. Now, Udan's goal is to get every retailer in the country to use the app. For one, when they're competing against these incumbent giant distribution networks, they have to incentivize tens of thousands of retailers to come on board in every region. And that's why we see Udan spending truckloads of money just getting retailers online and making it very easy for them to use the app. You know, just like how Amazon and Flipkart did everything to get us shopping online, with deep discounts and the best delivery and returns policies. These handshake deals, informal credit system, ordering, all of it's fascinating for sure, but it sounds kind of messy. I feel like it all needs some kind of organization. I think that's very right. And that's why a company like Odan is disruptive. It puts everything on one app. It's addressing specific pain points for their customers. Uh, so, my name is Jijesh B.A. That's Jijesh. He owns a grocery store called Brother's Store in one of the busiest neighborhoods of Bangalore, Indranagar. So we visited him at his store during the hustle and bustle of an evening at a Kirana. Jijesh talked to us about his experience with Uran. There are mobile apps, Udan, Jumbo Tail and Amazon. So, what do we do in that? Three, four years ago, our salesman and promoter came to our mobile and downloaded which one of the app. Then, we understand how to use it, how to use it, how to use it, how to use it. Everything does it. What do you say? Everything does it. Everything does it. What do you do? So, after that, we order it. Today, there is a lot of competition. Jijesh says that he has three apps on his phone. Odan, Jumbotail and Amazon. He got these apps, including Odan, about three to four years ago. And there were company representatives who walked him through the whole procedure. How to download, how to order, how to pay, everything. Also, Udan's prices are pretty competitive because there's a lot of online players in the market. So I'm actually Googling Udan's website and it seems like retailers need to do an EKYC to enroll on the platform. So I think that means that prices are unique and hidden for each retailer. Yeah, that makes sense. It's probably how retailers deal with suppliers in the offline world, right? It's a delivery charge. Then it's a credit. It's 50,000, 1 lakh, 2 lakh limited. Jijesh also mentioned to us that there's a credit bundled onto the app from 50,000 rupees to 1 lakh to 2 lakh rupees. That's pretty convenient, right? And I think there's a 30-day no-interest clause on this type of credit and only 10% after that. So I think that's definitely an incentive for retailers. So, if you order one time, it's limited. 
रहते लिमिटेड मीन्स एक फाइव थाउजेंड के ऊपर है तो फ्री डिलीवरी रहता है छोटा आइटम है तो उसका डिलीवरी चार्ज रहता है सो so, हमारा मार्केट जाने का ज़रूरत नहीं पड़ेगा फिर इधर बैठ के इधर ही स्टॉक आ जाएगा मार्केट जाना तो उसका ट्रांसपोर्ट के लिए पैसा ज़्यादा देना पड़ेगा तो इसका डिलीवरी चार्जेस भी कम होता है दस पंद्रह बीस रुपया थर्टी रुपीज़ मैक्सिमम या तो फिफ्टी रुपीज़ उसके ऊपर डिलीवरी चार्ज नहीं लगाता है उनको so he says it's free delivery for orders over 5000 rupees it's convenient because that way stock gets delivered directly to the store and he doesn't have to go physically to the markets this saves money that would otherwise be spent on transport he also says that even if there are smaller order amounts for their stock delivery charges are 10 to 20 to 50 rupees maximum which is still quite affordable So all in all that sounds just like doorstep delivery for us. So this is beginning to all sound more and more like buying stuff off of an Amazon or a Flipkart. That's true Anushka but you have to remember that we're not just talking about one pair of shoes or headphones here. We're talking about huge consignments that Uh, according to Odan's website, are professionally packed, tracked, and delivered. So Odan deals with a wide range of categories. It has your food categories, your staples, but also non-perishables like electronics. So they really want to be this one-stop solution for all small businesses. Wow, maybe Odan should hire you as their spokesperson. I am a sucker for a good supply chain solution. I have to admit, but. Here's what I'm thinking, Anushka. There's a catch somewhere. What's Odan charging these retailers for all of these top-up services? Um. Well, it's pushed out a lot of these services for free or at very low cost, right? At least in the initial years, that was the case. At some point, though, these incentives, these freebies for adoption, it's all going to have to stop, right? Of course incentives will dry up. I mean, what business can afford to give out endless lines of credit or incentives? Now, Odan might have basically employed the same playbook that Flipkart has. Grow at all costs but end up burning through significant capital. So how is Odan managing now, especially that the pandemic has dented its primary customer, the small business owner? To find out, we called in Pranav Balakrishnan. a reporter at the ken pranav reports and writes on the e-commerce sector in india and he was on the ground last month talking to kiranas and local stores talking about their relationship to odan hey pranav welcome to the show hi anushka happy to be here so pranav tell us about what you heard from the kirana store owners that you spoke with for your story a little earlier we heard from one of them about the benefits of odan so what did the pandemic change so multiple things happened odan couldn't obviously collect the money they had loaned out to these store owners it also had to lay off about 3000 people because entire product categories shut down their business was badly hit and from growth at all costs model Udan started to think about profitability with growth. And their customers, the Kirana guys, where do they stand vis-a-vis Udan now? I spoke to a cross section of them and yeah, there is a lot of anger against them. There are entire Facebook pages, there are complaints about fake products, misreturns and just overall bad customer care. 
And also, sorry to interrupt you, Olina, didn't you get on a call with the Kirana store owner to talk about this and he ended up cursing you out because of a bad experience? Yeah, yeah. So he thought I was calling from Oran and he said, I don't want to talk to you till you can secure my refund. And when I told him, hey, I'm not from Oran, I'm from the Ken, I'm, I'm, I'm from a media company, he basically, uh, well, hung up on me. And that's the polite way of saying that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there are a lot of angry people out there. But yeah, I think there's one important thing to note here. Udan's problem didn't start with just the pandemic. Okay, explain. Well, some of Udan's internal cultural and strategic issues were already causing problems for the company. Let me explain it like this. Have you guys played Mario or Pac-Man? Anushka's probably too young to remember this reference, but hey. yeah, I've played both games. Okay, I'm not that young. I also grew up playing those games, alright? Okay, so there are two teams within Udan. Mario Division sells services to businesses that sell goods like electronics, textiles, you know, that sort of thing. Pac-Man, as the name suggests, is a much faster moving category. So the Pac-Man team sells services to food and FMCG businesses. And I'm guessing that when there's a divide, there was friction between the teams? Yes. Uh, the FMCG team got the highest paying staff, the best perks. They were put in charge of the food guys. So there was resentment throughout the ranks, not just from Mario's side, but even within the Pac-Man team. When I spoke to Udan, they, of course, denied this tension. And what about the strategic issues you mentioned up top? Yeah, so... Udan also took the step of reaching out to manufacturers directly to supply to retailers in the food and FMCG categories. Sort of, you know, cut out the wholesalers and cut out their commissions and stuff like that. And they developed two alpha entities called Graintail and Granary. That's a very e-commerce type move, right? Exactly. And it didn't go down well with the manufacturers because the margins in food are already razor thin to begin with. They unionized against Udan. Oh boy. Oof. But I think where Udan struggles the most is this. It's not a fully online business yet. What do you mean? It's an end-to-end online transaction. Uh, not quite. Uh, in India, shopkeepers aren't really that tech-savvy. They have smartphones, shop, sure, I get that. But getting them to download the app, convincing them to use the app, it still requires a sales force to close the deal. Ground level foot soldiers. Remember, they aren't used to putting in orders online, the retailers. So transacting online, all this is, is, is still new to them. So what does Udan do now? What's 2021 going to be like for them? So the good thing backing Udan is that they still have a significant runway. They just raised $280 million in their latest round. Founders are well-connected to investors. They are savvy. They, they have the experience from Flipkart. And they've also been focusing on new areas of businesses like pharmaceuticals. It's, it's, it's picked up really well during the pandemic. So are we going to see an Iran 2.0 emerge now? I think it's likely you will see many versions of Udan when they capture more and more territory of the B2B online sales. So far, they have tapped around just 1%. There's still plenty of headroom for growth and many more business models to try out. Well, thanks, Pranav, for coming in here today and laying it out for us. Thank you both. This was fun. 
We'll be back right after this short break with a panel of some of the Ken's journalists discussing the most interesting business stories from the past week. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Sita Raman. I'm a senior staff writer and I head the Mumbai Bureau of the Ken. As a writer, it helps to know who you're writing for. Don't you think so? A typical newspaper or website has its readers, sure. But are they the only ones journalists are writing for? Just think about it. Or is it also the companies that pay for ads and sponsor events? Well, I guess you know the answer. But the Ken is not a typical news organization. Since 2016, we've only depended on our subscribers and not on advertisers or sponsors. So as a writer at the Ken, I know who my stories are for. In fact, our 25,000 plus subscribers across India, Southeast Asia and the rest of the world are at the center of everything we do including our deeply reported stories, newsletters, apps, and this podcast. So we would love to have you as a subscriber too. That's why we have a special offer for you. To find out more, go to theken.com slash podcast offer. That's the-ken.com slash podcast offer. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to Unofficial Sources. I'm Anushka. Um, So, the second part of our podcast still doesn't have a name. Is it second segment or unscripted discussion or perhaps unfiltered arguments based on how this plays out? I don't know. Yet. If the first part of our podcast is about Olina and I taking some of the Ken's most viral and interesting stories from last week and turning it into an immersive audio story, then this part is, well, pretty much the opposite. Because it's where I dive inside the Ken's incredible newsroom and get to invite a few experienced journalists to come into the studio and break down a few of the most important and interesting events that took place in the past week. Um, I personally think it's really fun because it's unscripted. Each of our guests bring their own personalities, worldviews, experiences into the discussion. And not to mention we are like friends in real life. So tell us what you think. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you have a name for it? Our email ID is podcast at theken.com and our social media handles are in the show notes as well. So to start off today, I've got Arundhati Ramanathan and Nitin Shashi Kumar in the studio. I'm not there with them though, because well, uh, I'm still in Goa, which might explain why my voice sounds a bit different than theirs. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you probably already know them. But if you're new, let me tell you about them. Arundhati is a senior staff writer with The Ken and has been with us since 2016. She writes these incredibly interesting and detailed stories that are at the intersection of financial services and technology or fintech. Nitin is also a staff writer, but for our daily newsletter, Beyond the First Order. The fact that he co-founded and ran a wealth management startup before joining the Ken as a financial journalist shows up in his articles, which I personally love for their simplicity and wit. Hi, Arundhati. Hey, Nitin. Hey, hi. Hey, Anushka. I wish I was in the studio right now with both of you. It would be fun. <laughs> not, not as much as we wish we were there with you in Goa right now. I think it's Goa calling for us. Yep. Okay, that's fair enough. So when we were sitting down to discuss, you know, some interesting stories from the week, a theme that we noticed that emerged was the power of nudges. 
somewhat like a snowball effect. So to start off, I think there's no better piece to illustrate that than what's happening with Reddit, a community social media website. So Nitin, last week we spoke about the subreddit r slash Wall Street bets. And since then, I've been seeing it all over the internet, whether it's memes or articles or people giving their takes. So what's the latest development with that? All right, Anushka. So the big development on 9th February was a report by the Wall Street Journal that Reddit has actually doubled its valuation to 6 billion US dollars. Okay, six billion is a lot, but also I need to sidetrack. Arundhati, was that you whistling? <laughs> well, yeah, but rather poor attempt at it. <laughs> she tried, she yeah, tried, yeah, guys. Yeah. Go on, Nitin. <laughs> but anyway, so part of this valuation, Reddit can actually be thankful to Wall Street bets because there's been this huge craze, and on Wall Street bets, the users have actually doubled mm. in the month of January. Right. So we spoke about this David versus Goliath bit of sticking it to the man in the last episode. And I've been seeing a lot of speculation, wondering if it's really the case. Okay, so I was actually listening to this uh, interview with the CEO of Reddit, Um, you know, who better to turn to than him. And he obviously also hung out a lot on Wall Street bets. So he says in the interview that it started off as just a normal hey, buy this stock, it looks good uh, kind of chatter, right? And he was referencing GameStop over here. But that then just morphed into something else and it became something like, let's take on the hedge funds thing. Mm. So yeah, there is some truth to the David versus Goliath battle. And when you see all these people get together on uh, Wall Street bets, everyone is nudging the others to buy the stock. So there's a big nudge that's taking place over there in trading. But look, where that's ended up, right? I mean, the GameStop stock's down quite a bit after that. Yeah, so some of them have made money, some of them have lost. Um, The small guys have gotten hurt. The stock is down by around 80%. (coughs) But I don't think this is the last we'll see of them, Arundhati. There was something similar that happened even with another stock called AMC, uh, with BlackBerry, and Mm. even with Silver. Right. So do you think mini bubbles and stocks like this will happen again, thanks to not just like this? So there's in investing, you can't say things with 100% certainty. Uh, but I think people's behavior and or the lack of change in people's behavior is something that, you know, you can say uh, for you know, with 100% certainty that it won't really happen. So if you think about it, it has happened countless times before. And I'm sure that these things will happen again. Uh, People have time on their hands and they have money as well. And you have investment apps like Robinhood, which are free and which makes it so easy to buy and trade stocks. You could be sitting in a bus, you could be sitting on a train and you could be buying stocks just by sitting there, right? And this is how Robinhood works. It has made everything so easy. You can't even buy one share. If you don't have money to buy one share, you can even buy fractions of shares, Mm. So there's an economist, Horace White, who wrote, the desire to get rich without labor has prevailed among men at all ages and will doubtless continue as long as human nature remains unchanged. Nitin, do you just walk around knowing quotes like this verbatim? <laughs> well, you know, I can attest that this is not the first time he's doing this. He's he's quoted people like this left, right, center. Usually it's Warren Buffett uh, or John Keynes, but, you know, for Horace White, I had to look it up. Uh, 
but also he wrote this in 1909 guys wow that's some foresight and think about it is the same thing that's happening today in 2021 mm. and robin hood is brilliant at getting you know creating these nudges to get people to trade more and more and try and become rich so you put together this chatter on reddit which is nudging people and the nudges from robin hood and you have an amplifying effect of nudges here why am i not seeing any of these nudges have an impact on me man <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like nudges are these wonderful things right in fact there's this other entire industry um that right now is walking on regulatory thin ice i'm talking about real money gaming apps like uh, online rummy uh i mean i'm sure we've all played rummy as kids but have you guys played uh, online rummy any times recently as a kid rummy yes but online no so actually since i've come to goa i've been seeing a lot of um, ads on billboards about these online gambling apps and rummy so i'm kind of tempted to try it but i haven't so far interesting interesting point about the ads because that's kind of what i'm getting at uh but i did try playing uh rummy online and i lost miserably right uh, and there are people <laughs> like me who have uh, not only lost money gambling but they've also lost their lives which is what prompted this online rummy federation uh, they called the online rummy federation it's a lobby group of rummy companies which took out full page ads on uh, the front page of uh, times of india it had this advisory uh, to users right which where it said that treat online rummy like how you would treat credit card spending meaning that impose limits on your game right so they actually compared themselves to credit card spending limits so this is rummy federation's nudge so that you don't end up losing all your money but that's kind of warped messaging and just a confusing analogy equating credit card spending to online rummy but i guess that in both cases you can rack up a huge debt or you know if you don't pay your dues but there's a big difference here right now with credit cards banks don't just give it out to everyone right they do have some you know systems in place and they're a little prudent uh, but in online rummy that's not the case it's for everyone true true that that's kind of why the logic really falls flat on its face right because with credit cards it's the bank that's imposing a limit but in case of online rummy they expect the users themselves to set up limits so it kind of doesn't make does, doesn't add up at all but what is interesting here to note is that the very fact that they want to give users a nudge to play within limits is to show that these companies are being cognizant of the fact that they can risk addiction in fact in a tiny disclaimer right below the ad right they they mention that gambling can be an addiction Well, that's interesting because i was watching the india england test match and these ads by dream 11 actually popped up you know dream 11 the fantasy cricket gaming app right yeah and they had a very similar disclaimer about you know it being addictive and that there is a financial risk associated with it but i was just thinking rummy and dream 11 aren't really gambling apps right i mean they're games of skills so does it really need a disclaimer of addiction Yeah so these ads reveal that these companies real money gaming companies know what their own risks are which is that they're being perceived as games of chance this despite what they themselves have told the courts about being games of skill 
<laughs> that kind of nails it nitin if you find this concept interesting as well we have a book recommendation for you check out the book nudge by thalo and sunstein well thanks nitin and arundhati for joining us today hey thank you for having us thanks anushka and thank you for tuning in to the third episode of unofficial sources i hope you enjoyed it and even if you didn't you can reach out to us on twitter or email us everything is linked in the show notes see you next fortnight on unofficial sources by the kin